Today, we go off to the wild blue yonder with my guest, a former fighter pilot, blue angel, and commercial pilot for Southwest Airlines, Jerry Tucker. His biggest fear was not a Mach 1 barrel roll maneuver, but general seating on a Southwest flight from LA to Vegas. He tells us how real the Top Gun 1 and 2 movies were. He shares his flight name. Spoiler alert, it's not near as cool as Maverick or Joker or Viper. He does a terrible Russian accent, describes a real-life encounter with a MiG, and how he proposed to his wife four days after their face-to-face -face meeting. They were pen pals for a long time. He also spent some time catting in the Pro Golf Tour and had an encounter with Arnold Palmer. I made up the whole Mach 1 barrel roll maneuver because I don't know what that is or any real terminology, but Jerry tells us real stories with real terms during the pod. So sit down, strap in, turn on and turn up this death-defying episode of Tony on the Mic. Our story begins as these stories often do. Did you have a name? Uh, yeah. But can you share it? Yes, my call sign was Turkey. That's not as cool as Viper, man. I oh, it's, it's so cool. You just don't know. <laughs> we are back with the most popular person in Mar Vista Senior High Class in 1963. How about that? Yeah, I have never been introduced that way. Okay. <laughs> Jerry Sanders, Blue Angel, golf caddy, most popular kid in uh, Mar Vista High School. Well, Jerry Sanders might have been, but Jerry Tucker, so you were talking to Who? Who? <laughs> Let's hear another story, story, story. That one was just sad. And that's some um, too arrogant. Yeah. yeah. But, but why we, we stop now? We were the last. That's true. <laughs> that's true. I mean, I've got a, a reputation of this. I walked in the door, and who's sitting there? But one of those two guys. Tom Cruise. No, it was, no, that was me. Uh, <laughs> I have to say, that's the most amazing story I ever heard. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you listen to this fine podcast product. My name is Tony Lawrence, and this is Tony on the Mic. Today, I have an exciting guest. It's not often I kind of fanboy a little bit, but uh, Jerry Tucker, former fighter pilot, Blue Angel, and Southwest Airline pilot, is with us today. Going to regale us with some tales of daring do. Say hi to the folks, Jerry. Hello. How you all doing? Now, you were born in Tilden, Nebraska. Yes, actually, it was the... The same hospital that L. Ron Hubbard was born in. Wow! Did you start your own religion? Uh, no, I I, <laughs> I gave left that up to him. Okay, he, but he did start it later. Yes, he did. He took care of that. Wow, that's interesting. And then Mar Vista High. When did you move to San Diego, and why? Well, my dad was uh, in the Navy, okay. uh, and uh, he spent uh, twenty-eight years, I believe it was, in the Navy, all told. And uh, we, uh, he was enlisted and got a commission, a limited okay. duty officer commission. And this was his first tour of duty as an officer, and it was at, at Reem Field oh, uh, down awesome. in, in Imperial Beach. And yeah. I wound up uh, going down there. I went to Southwest High School a little bit, Castle Park a little bit, and then went to Mar Vista to grad graduate from Mar Vista. Yep. So at this point in high school, did you have a pretty good idea you were going into the military? Were you following Pop's footsteps? No, or? not really. I didn't okay. think so. I, I knew I probably would do something very similar to that just because I needed, uh, uh, I just, uh, I was probably going to need some help. We just uh, got a little, a, a ring in the background and, and you guys have no way of knowing how patient Jerry's been. We've been <laughs> dealing with some technical. I just want to make sure that wasn't my pacemaker. Right. Some low batteries. So. <laughs> No, I think you're bad. Well, if it doesn't stop in about 15 seconds, we'll know it's your pacemaker. Yeah. You're talking about following your dad's footsteps yeah, or not. And uh, all I'd known was the Navy. Okay. And uh, I knew that uh, as an enlisted, and at that time now he was just an ensign in the Navy okay. with, with 18 years in, but uh, an ensign. The pay wasn't really that great. He made right. like three or $400 a month. And 
with on that college probably was not in the cards probably at the not. time right uh, he uh, was in a squadron that had some pretty decent people in it one of them uh, was a guy named Zug Zastro uh, he was as I found out later uh, a two-time all-american quarterback at the Naval Academy really and I wound up babysitting for him a lot and he got to talking and uh, he asked if I wanted any advice about college and I said yes sir I sure would like yeah. it. I kind of like to go but not really sure what I could do and I'd have to get a scholarship uh, if I'm going to go. He said, well, do you like girls? I said, uh, well, yeah. Yes, yes, yes sir. Please. Yes, right? please. <laughs> he says, well, don't go to the Naval Academy. There, there are no girls there. At that time, there weren't. Right. So, so it didn't take me long to look at that horseshoe. And so I uh, mentioned it to him, and uh, he wrote a letter and got a couple other guys that he knew to write letters. Uh, uh, and I applied for the NROTC scholarship program, and I was okay. lucky enough to get that. And that's uh, that that's, was a full ride plus 50 bucks a month and wow. uh, with that I was able to uh, go to a decent college nice nice and then uh, the ROTC had a commitment yeah the, uh, there was a commitment afterwards uh, I believe it was four years four after, years yeah four years after that okay um, and, and I apologize I knew it came late uh, they, they awarded the, uh, the scholarship sometime in April oh my uh, that uh, is late. yeah for high school especially right. back in those June, days right. it was amazing so I applied to three colleges uh, USC UCLA and the University of Idaho. I wanted to make sure I was going to get into one of them. Was which it? was your, at the time, which was the fallback school, Idaho? Idaho, Idaho <laughs> kind of was the fallback school, just to make sure. I'm right. Not, and, but I got in all three schools. Oh, Unfortunately, okay. the ROTC program filled up really quick, yeah. and they were filling USC and UCLA. So I went to Idaho, and it was the best thing that could have possibly nice. happened to me. Nice. Um, what did you like about that, the Vandals? The Vandals. The Vandals, yeah. yeah. It, I, I was always fashioned myself as a bit of an athlete. Okay. I was skinny as could be i weighed uh they had they gave me 20 pounds or so uh for the football uh program so right, i had 120 pounds oh. i was the original 98 pound weakling nice and I, but i was fast kicked I, in your face uh well they tried but they couldn't catch me to do it <laughs> i was really pretty quick uh, until i put the pads on i could i ran 109 nine. holy cow but i ran it about a day and a half with pads on it I, uh, <laughs> I wasn't the strongest one in the world, so. Yeah. Um, it says here in high school you consider yourself a jock. I, football? Did you play any other sports? Football and, and track. I track. was captain of the track team okay. my last year. All right. Uh, we set a, a school record finally that stood at Mar Vista for I think it had been about fifteen years, twenty years, uh, in the quarter quarter mile relay. Oh. And my, we now had that's really the four forty now. Four forty. It was yes. four hundred. No, 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 it was, no, was four forty then. Yes, four hundred. Exactly. Now. Right, yeah, right, right. That's exactly. Right. And yeah, my son run ran track at Grossmont. Oh, okay. He sure. ran he ran the four by one, four by four, and uh, four hundred. He did. He messed around. He did a lot of stuff. He hurdles. He did a high oh. jump or I mean a pole vault. Oh. And wherever the coach, you know, and coach it, all you have to do is clear eight foot because we need points. Yeah. You know, so if you clear the basic jump, and he learned how to do that, and he got up almost 10 feet, and, but yeah. he never really focused well, on you, it. You touched on another thing there that really is, is close to home. What's that? That sounds like my history. Oh, yeah. It's the same thing I did. I, I ran the 100. Uh, I ran the quarter was my favorite race. Okay. I should have run the, uh, the 800, uh, the 880. Right. Uh, but that was two times was enough. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I, I honestly think the 800 slash 880 is the, is the hardest uh, oh, yeah. race. The 400 is essentially a sprint. sprint. I mean, there's positioning, there's some pacing, but it's essentially yeah. you run as fast as you can for an entire lap. That's pretty much it. Yeah. And then the, the 800. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The 800 is just, it's brutal. It is. Yeah. I finally ran it in, in college. And okay. uh, um, actually... Well, I well I have you here. Yeah. Two stories. I I actually are still to this day am a collegiate record holder at the University oh, of Idaho. Look at in, that in the three thirty intermediate hurdles. Wow, 
while I was flying for Southwest, we uh, tried to get in L.A., couldn't get in L.A., so we diverted to Ontario waiting for the weather to come up a little bit. Right. And we had, uh, the, I can't remember the kid's name now, but he was the guy from Idaho that was the decathlon champion at the uh, Olympics. Oh, wow. In the back. Flight attendant came up and told me. Was that that Dave or Don? Was that I can't think of his name. Dan O'Brien. Dan O'Brien was his name. Many of you might remember the advertising campaign for Reebok, Dan versus Dave, where they had two guys compete in Reebok shoes for the decathlon. Dan went on to win a gold medal in 1996 at the Atlanta Olympics in the decathlon. Famous Vandal, Dan O'Brien. Yeah, yeah, that that name is right on the tip of my tongue, but I can't yeah. think of what it is. But anyway, I went back to tell him. He says, hey, I, I heard you were a Vandal. I wanted to tell, let you know that I was too. Nice. And I'm, But I'm still the collegiate record holder at University of Idaho. Said, For the really? 300? For the 330 animated hurdles. I said, gee, that's amazing. He says, well, not as amazing as it sounds. Uh, they only uh, ran it for one year. I was the only guy that turned out, and I finished one race. So, so I am the, the record holder. You look that record up, folks. Yeah, if you're still ever, there. If you're ever in Idaho. It's still on the wall. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, you were voted most popular in your senior class. How does a skinny kid like you I end up most popular? I have no idea. I mean, I was lucky to get dates, I thought. But uh, <laughs> one of my really good friends, uh, uh, Marty Hagen, she was uh, uh, had been dating the guy that... Helped set that record uh, in high school, a full forty, okay. and uh, and we were just really good friends. And uh, I think she kind of talked it among. She was pretty popular, so she talked it up among her friends. I think. Ah, uh, and I got it, and boy, was I shocked! Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's I was uh, wittiest in my senior. All right, class. I can I can see that. Big class, big class. Fortunately, they didn't they didn't have a computer section in it. So yes, of course, right? Because we I'd still be trying to. <laughs> put on my cheap sash cheap you know? shots <laughs> that's all right that's fair <laughs> hey you, you were super patient for a long time as we tried to get this thing off the ground you can take all the shots you want you've earned them uh and okay now this story i thought was great you were a pen pal with your soon-to-be wife for a couple of years right. 75 76 it says yeah. and then you had met earlier in 74 but didn't realize that at the time. When I was on the Blues and uh, Blue Angels in 1973 and 74. Okay. Uh, in 74, the guy that had been my roommate in Vietnam, Eddie Trump, uh, had gotten out of the Navy and uh, was looking for a job, and I knew some people, and so I got him a, a job with Corky Fornoff uh, flying the BD-5 jet uh, out of... Uh, uh, they were flying air shows. They had three of them. And he was working on the ground crew, but he was going to become one of the pilots. Well, we were out talking after uh, after he'd, they had uh, flown and before I flew and just visiting. And uh, this cute little girl came up, a uh, little high school girl, actually. And, no, no, uh, no, no so you can't say that now. Well, I can because I didn't date her. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, as far as you know. Right, uh, right. <laughs> uh, she came up to talk to Eddie. Disclaimer, uh, Tony on the mic does not... Endorsed dating no. high school girls when I don't blue ink. Okay, <laughs> uh, but uh, came up to talk to Eddie because Eddie was her cousin, and of course Eddie and I being very close, he introduced us, and 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 that was basically it. Uh, and uh, later I uh, I went back back to war and. Uh, I got out of the Navy for a while. So, back in. let me just say, you went into the Blue Angels, and then to war, and then... Well, actually, I got out of the Blue Angels, and I carried on the pro golf tour for a while. Okay. I, I, I'm not making this up, I promise. I, I trust you. But I, uh, I, I caddied on the tour for a while, then I came back in, and then I made the last F-8 uh, cruise on the Ariscany. Okay. And while I was on that cruise, Eddie's wife was talking to, to, uh, my, uh, to my uh Soon to my be. soon-to-be wife, or who I didn't know, said, hey, I got this sailor, because 
Eddie and I were really close. Right. right. We were back. I, I kind of lived at their house basically. I'd go to dinner there three or four days a week. Okay. And they treated me like a son. Nice. Okay. And so he had her. Uh, she said, "Why don't you write the sailor?" And Debbie said, "I do not want." to date a sailor <laughs> they love you they leave you it's miserable it's just a terrible life and uh, Susan kept after her kept after her yeah. and she finally wrote me a letter and I got the letter the same day I got a letter from a flight attendant that I dated oh so, look at I you open, play I opened Debbie, Debbie's letter and says um, I didn't really want to write this but <laughs> Susan Trump made me write you and I uh, while thinking about whether I should or not I hit a patch of ice and hit a car in front of me and broke a tail light I think you ought to help pay for the damages that's a fair request. So, wow. <laughs> and I don't remember that. I did At not all. remember right. I'd ever met her before. Right. Wow. So that's kind of cool. So I answered her back. We happened to be going into Hong Kong. So I, I taped in one Hong Kong penny. Hong Kong, mm -hmm. the, uh, the currency is the same size as the domination. So Hong Kong penny is about the size of the head of a pen. It's oh, wow. Tiny. Okay. Taped it on there. Sent it back. Says, I'm really sorry that I caused you that, that, that problem. But I, I hope this helps defray some of the cost. Try not to spend it all in one place. Well, I got a laugh from the letter. She got a laugh from that. We started writing. Okay. And we basically fell in love. Fell in love over pen pals. Yeah. And then yeah. uh, you you met her, in, or you re-met yeah. her I, in person. I came back. I met her uh, at the airport. Uh, I saw her again. Right. We still didn't remember that we'd met before. Is that right? But the airport in Seattle, I went up to visit him. Um, I went back up. That was in the first, I think, of May. I went back up the end of May because I had orders. And... Uh, uh, I uh, two days later I asked her to marry me. So we'd actually been together a total of four days when I asked her to marry me. That's bananas. And it's this. Year, I would give advice to everyone not to do that, but uh, it, clearly it worked out with us. I mean, we, I well, think we writing, both you know, and it, I think yeah. honestly, and and I don't want to be that old guy, but writing letters is so personal. It's yeah. not. It's not a tweet or a text. That's it's right. Not they don't you know, do it anymore. Right. It nobody does it. They don't. And, but and that's a lot more comes out. Right. You know, when you get yeah. really tired and you really need somebody to talk to, you yeah. put it in writing. And there is a kind of visceral joy to opening an envelope and anticipating what you're going to read from someone versus being somebody texting me and you open it. Now, of course, if you and her could text, then you would have. Because we, we all would. You know, yeah, that's what we would. That's what you do. But but this was back during the war, right at the end of the war. The war finished right. in like 74. Five or something okay. like this, and this this was a seventy, just seventy five and a half, seventy six. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, it was seventy six when I asked her. So we got back from the cruise. Uh, yeah, and um, it, uh, having lived through the war earlier, you know, the regular right. war, I was actually pretty much involved with that one. And uh, a letter from home or a letter from anybody, yeah, admit you had no idea how much it did me. I, I mean, it really yeah. did. That's, that's remember those from my dad when he was deployed. He was deployed. Uh, his airplanes that flew over, but and did uh, you send? Did you? Send oh, we letters? wrote letters all the time. And, oh yeah. Nice. Uh, and they, Do you have any siblings? I have a sister. Okay. She lives here in town. Lives okay. out in Alpine now. Okay. And she she wrote older, younger. Uh, younger. Okay. Yeah, she's uh, she's four years younger. Than she me. did her part right. She wasn't a little. Oh no, she was a normal. She was a sister. She was okay. a pain, pain and patootie, okay. but uh, yeah, love her to death. Do anything two. in the world for her. Same. You understand if you I have do. to. Yep. Okay. I have to. Oh, yeah. and do anything for him. Pain in the butt. Oh, oh wait. wait. Do anything for him? No, I mean, I agreed with the pain in the patootie. Oh, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They don't listen. Nine so, <laughs> so they won't listen to my podcast. Oh. Ah. We're safe. <laughs> yeah, we're safe. We can say anything we want. Uh, then you were commercial. Oh, well, Pilot. actually, then I got a, uh, I'd gotten out of the Navy. I worked on the pro golf tour. came back in, made that cruise. 
and then uh, from there, I uh, we went to um, I had a ship's company tour where I was a catapult officer on the Kitty Hawk. And then, they still uh, had catapults then. Uh, they still no, have, they kidding. do right now. <laughs> no, I think you're talking Different about ones. the train yeah. the, the train catapults. These slung the, airplanes off. Right, not uh, not the uh, Game of Thrones. That's type right. No, no, these are a little different. <laughs> um, and then um, I made lieutenant commander at that time, and then we wound up going to Hawaii for a while, and then I came back from there to. NUCPAC, Nuclear Weapons Training Facility at North Island here, and then I retired from there in 19... Now, did you find the commercial work, I mean, Blue Angels, which we'll get into, listeners, don't worry, but that seems pretty high attention, focus, kind of intense. The blues? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Versus, you know, I mean, landing in San Diego is a little intense, but... Actually, it's not. It's uh, mainly because you know you have... To be on your game coming into San Diego, so you are. Right. And and it's very, it's one of the safer ones because of that. Because you're focused. Yeah. Yeah, you're focused on it, and you. <laughs> it's a VOR approach, and it's not an ILS coming in here. So. Okay, I'm probably gonna speed through most of that in high that's, speed. That's right. Okay. <laughs> but it, it, compared to like Blue Angels, did you find it fulfilling, or did you find it kind of boring? No, Southwest is different. Um, it was uh, dynamic. It was uh, we pressed the field a lot to save money and to save time. Pressing means you, you, you stay clean as long as you can, and you, right. and then you put the landing gear and flaps down, and you come down uh, quickly. You don't dirty up. We call it dirty when right. you put gear and flaps down. At that time, we used ten minute turns. Now people don't understand that. That's I don't understand that. You hit the gate. Okay. Open the door. Ten minutes later, you're closing the door, full airplane, and pushing off in ten minutes. Wow. Now, I thought that, no, there's no way you could do that. Well, my first day, I had seven legs, and we had five of those were ten-minute turns. The other, wow. we got, got the rest, we had a 15-minute turn. <laughs> uh, but <sighs> yeah, <laughs> the uh, flying, we uh, the, we hand flew everything. We, the, things weren't automated. We'd uh, right. have some autopilot in the 300 and the 200, but you couldn't really link it up to fly an ILS. You had to fly the airplane. You hand mm -hmm. flew the airplane. And our procedures were such that the FO flew it and the, and the captain looked outside. So if it was really bad weather, the FO was on uh, the guy in the right seat. First flying. officer? First officer. See what I did? You did. I just figured that out. I, I had to say it five times. Right. No, no, <laughs> untrue, untrue. So, um, okay, then. Should be you. So I loved it. It was it was dynamic, and plus I walked into a ready room the first time. It was like being back on the ship. I knew half the people in it because right. they, they had so many uh, retired Navy guys and, and nice. guys that I knew out there, and so it was fun. It was well, fun. let me tell you a funny story about our my Southwest experience. Um, there's a pilot, Jammer Davis. Yes. Um, you familiar with Jammer? Yes, I am. I knew Jammer. He was a legend in his own mind. Really? <laughs> well, he's a good guy. In 94, uh, my wife and I were flying up to Oregon to visit. Both of our families lived in Oregon. We lived in California. Mm -hmm. And got on a flight and handed the flight attendant a note who gave it to the pilot. And I'm going to give you the short reader's digest version. We're flying up. And my wife's trying to sleep. I'm trying to keep her awake. And the pilot says, hey, this is Jammer Davis. We're flying at such and such an altitude, such and such a speed, landing, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, oh, wait a minute. We have an urgent control or urgent message from ground control. Is there a Shanna Ellis on the flight? And, you know, my wife's like, wait, that's me. And I'm like, honey, please turn on your, you know, your call light. And she turns on the call light. The, you know, and it gets quiet. Says, well, from ground control, we just got to hang on. We're getting a transmission. Will you marry Tony Lawrence? And then she's like, what? And then I turned and I had a, and I had a ring 
You know, and she turned oh, to you like, oh, and, so and cool. she didn't say anything. You know, her body language said yes, and everybody around kind of saw what was going on, and, and everybody's looking, which made her uncomfortable, which I didn't care about. I mean, I mean, not that I don't care about her being uncomfortable. Well, it takes the heat off you. Right, so right. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, on the PA says, well? <laughs> she goes, yes. And the flight attendants gave, they gave us a bottle of champagne. They took us up in the cockpit and let us look out. And then afterwards, after we landed, we took pictures in the cockpit. And everything. Well, that's the attitude with Southwest that I, I love so much working there. I, mm-hmm. I, honestly, I was disappointed when I had to retire. I, had, I yeah. aged out. Yeah. And, um, Do you think that's a good rule? Uh, no, it sucks. Uh, I mean, I, that, now try to be <laughs> no, it is, it is not. It is. I didn't think it was a good rule at that time because okay. it was. It came about without any study whatsoever. It was uh, two former CEO. Uh, Just one an arbitrary. One was a former CEO of, of uh, airline has two A's in it, and the other one was the current CEO of the, of an airline has two A's in it, and they were they got to be Alaska or American. Uh, well, I don't care. I'll, I'll they're see. out of Dallas, so you, I'll let you figure that. Okay. Out. Um, <laughs> But the, the point was that uh, uh, one of them was the head of the Civil uh, Aviation Board. I was before yeah. they called it the FAA, and they, as I as I was told the story, but he, they got to, they were talking. and says, you know, we got to get some these old guys to retire. I mean, they're staying around. They're, we're having to pay them so much money. We got to get them out so guys can promote and and, and pay them a, a, a lesser wage. Right. He said, well, let's just make them retire at a certain age. He said, well, yeah. What do you think? How about sixty? Yeah. Okay. That sounds right. And wow. that is how the H60 rule came about. There was not one medical study done. Uh, oh, wow. So when they finally changed that, uh, it, it was a godsend. I just unfortunately missed it by four months. And how old are you now? I'm 76 now. Do you think you could fly right now? I guarantee I could. I was flying just two years ago. Wow. You were flying down the road when you came here. Well, yeah, My yeah that's why I got flying. here earlier. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to take our first break. Now that we've got to know a little bit of your backstory, and we've got you up... Uh, throughout your career and your marriage story is fascinating um i again i i would say you broke virtually every rule by first flirting with a teenager high school kid while you were not in high school and then second marrying someone four days after you actually met him face to face today they would call that catfishing yes. but <laughs> when, when it worked out, it worked out for 40 me. what 46 years 46 years. wow that's an, that's Sorry. amazing oh, yeah. let's see we're gonna be 28 well, yeah, you're good for you. this year. Good for you. That's, that's honest. That's uh, unusual in this day and age. So yeah. uh, it takes a lot of work. Yeah, it does. Whew, you have no idea. My wife doesn't <laughs> listen either, so I can say whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we're going to take our first break, and we will be right back with Jerry Tucker, Blue Angel, pro golf caddy, and later a Southwest Airline pilot. And we are back today. My guest, Jerry Tucker, Blue Angel. We're going to talk about that because that's fascinating to me. The couple things you said that you have done just seem, to me, honestly, like if I came from another planet, another era, another whatever, and it came to Earth and they said millions of people drive around in 2,000-pound things of metal with about two weeks training at 80 miles an hour all over the country, all over the world, and, and there are relatively few accidents... I would say, no way. You know, there's no way. Yeah. And then, growing up here in this era, on this planet, with all this stuff, there are people who are going to fly airplanes in tight formation, mere feet away from each other at ridiculous speeds. I still say no way. What made you want to try that? Well, a lot of people find it's hard to believe, but the uh, first time I saw the Blues uh, was in a little uh, airport called uh, uh, Sanford, in Sanford, Florida. Okay. Uh, my dad took me out to everyone. I was two years old. 
1947, uh, boarding on 48. Uh, so you were probably like two and a half. Maybe two and no, a half. I'm just <laughs> well, I was coming up on, on two. So. Um, he took me to this one at uh, at the airport in in Sanford, and uh, I was enthralled with it. I can, and I say that now. Because I still remember it right this instant. Wow. I remember portions of that air show. Right. They were flying prop airplanes. They'd fly over. They, they had an airplane painted up. Uh, it was that at, right at the end of World War II. Okay. They had an airplane painted up like a Japanese Zero. Right. And, uh, he came over. Um, the, the Diamond, uh, the other airplanes kind of did a, a mock attack on him. Right. He came back around. He popped a smoke, which they just put a little oil in the, uh, and exhaust, and smoke comes out of the thing. Threw a, somebody was in the back, threw a dummy out the back seat. Oh, my and goodness. And then they went down, and they had something. They made a big boom in the trees. Off, off of the plane, okay. Yeah, like the airplane had crashed. Down, then, right. the, then the Blues came by, and they were doing victory rolls and stuff like that, and did a couple of rolls in the airplane and stuff. Wow. And I, I can still see it right now. And now, so, you knew it was fake, though, right? I mean, well, that I, part, yes, but okay. the, the flying, the fact the, the, that they could yeah. do that with the airplanes, yes. the, the formation stuff. Right. The next time I saw them, they were in jets okay. uh, that I remember. Right. And it wasn't as much fun because they were farther away from the field. The props were, everything was right there in front of yeah. them, the, the way they operate. Uh, so that was kind of stuck in the back of my mind. Uh, I was went to college. Uh, I was lucky enough, I was a ROTC, N-R-O-T-C, and... Um, I was lucky enough to be chosen from uh, for my last cruise, my first class cruise, to go to Vietnam, go to the war zone as a midshipman. Wait, wait, did you say lucky enough? Actually, at the time, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I I joined up. Okay, I, I know. Mean, I just want to make sure. I, I just want to clarify. I was one of those goofy People. guys who was right. <laughs> truly a, a patriot, and uh, I uh, wanted to do something okay. to give back. I just right. did. Okay. I, it was a different time back then. You don't see as much of that anymore. But I... Uh, I was lucky enough to get chosen to go, and I went out and uh, walked aboard the Intrepid in uh, QB Point in the Philippines. And as I'm walking up the gangplank, and first of all, to back up a little bit, the uh, midshipmen usually have two weeks in, in, in a different uh, uh, departments on the ship. Uh, you, you go to operations for two weeks, and you go to engineering for two weeks, and you go to something else for two weeks. So, so, uh, deck, I believe it was. Okay. Um, well, I'm walking up, and there's these two guys, two aviators I saw, their wings as I got closer. They were looking at me, watching me walk up the gangplank with the rest of these guys. Says, uh, Midshipman, come here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What can I do for you? They were two, both lieutenants. He says, uh, you come with us. Really? Yeah, that's okay. We'll take care of it. They took me back down to the ready room, and they adopted me for that full six-week period. I stayed with VF-111 Det and VSF-3, which was VF-111 Det were F-8s, Crusaders, okay. and the VSF-3 were A-4s. And I, uh, they taught me how to write in the LSO book. They took me up to PriFly, and I would be their PriFly rep at times. When we went to port, they would take, take me out in the town. I was 21 <laughs> then, so okay. I, was, I was legal. Well, in the Philippines, it didn't matter much. Right. Uh, or Japan. So... Um, that changed me around. I was thinking about maybe going to the Marines or doing something else, even though I'd had one section where I did some flying. I loved it, but it didn't really sink home. Working on that deck in a combat zone and seeing what these guys did, lost a couple guys while I was there, yeah. you see what it's all about. Uh, and I didn't think I was mature enough to understand that at the time, but looking back on it, I really did. I understood. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to do. So I went through flight training, and I was lucky enough to get fighters, and I was lucky enough to get F-8s, which is uh, the Crusader. And I remember walking into the RAG when I got it. The RAG is the uh, 
a replacement air group uh, out at Miramar that does the training for people okay. before they go to the squadrons. I walked in the door, and who's sitting there but one of those two guys? Tom Cruise? No, it was, no, that was me. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, Joseph Trappa, which is one of those two oh, one guys. Oh, two guys, okay. That talked me into it, and he, uh, I got to fly it with him as an instructor three or four times. Wow, uh, that's really cool. Tony wound up, after I left that cruise, he wound up getting a MIG. He got uh, okay. uh, the next to the last MIG of the war. Wow. Uh, now, what is MIG? MIG is, I mean, uh, McGoyan is the name of the guy that invented the uh, the r r airplane, it's a Russian built right. airplane, and that's what the North Vietnamese flew. Okay. And that was that was featured in Top Gun. Uh, yeah, they had a, a different version of the MIG, right. yeah. but, uh, but yes, that, I think that was a McGoyan that they were fighting. Because I remember he okay. said, I saw a MIG, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, <laughs> you had an encounter with a MIG? Yes, the, we, our business as fighter pilots is air-to-air -air combat. That's right. what it's for. Which just seems incomprehensible. The idea that two planes could maneuver around and well, shoot at each other. The whole idea is to be able to do to beat the other guy at, right. and fly your airplane to the best you can to get behind him in a, in a position where you can shoot. Okay. Either a missile, which would be almost have to be behind him, a cone about twenty-five or thirty degrees off behind okay. him, at a certain distance, minimum right. and out. And the other is guns, where you're you're just a lot closer to him and, and okay, uh, so you're tracking. Piloting. I'm piloting. And do you, I'm it. There is nobody else. You're the only person. I'm on the, the only person in the airplane. Holy crap! Okay, go on. I was on a on a mission uh, with Frank Bachman, who was uh, I. Uh, he was my wingman. There, we were kind of co-wingman actually, because okay. he was quite a bit senior to me. Uh, but I had a little bit more experience in that airplane, and uh, we we heard there were MIGs flying. Um, we went. We dropped. We had a group that had gone in on a strike. We came back out. We always checked in with the controlling agency, Red Crown, and we checked in and we heard that they had two F4s that had been sent on a vector to, after this MiG because we heard on a guard, which is a frequency we all listen to, that uh, MiGs were flying out of Bullseye. Bullseye being Hanoi, heading south. Okay. So uh, when we changed, we heard them going. So we checked. We checked in. So you got two F8s here. We're fully loaded. I got. We got uh, four sidewinders and. And 600 rounds of my 20 mic mic a piece. 600 rounds. Uh, yeah, 20 okay. millimeter. Okay. Uh, and he's uh, 20 millimeter. That's that's sizable. Oh, uh, not 22, 20. Yeah, no, no. I, I was doing I was uh, doing yeah. diameter. I it's wasn't about doing that big around. Wow, that's about the, the size. bullet itself is that long and about yeah. that big. Around. So just since that makes great podcast, yeah. it's about <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a circle. Like imagine saying okay, then opening your finger a little yeah, bit. That's, that's right. the diameter. That's about right. And then uh, six inches ish is what you uh, want. Five to six. Five six inches. Yeah, four, yeah four, four to six. So six hundred rounds of that. Yeah. And then the sidewinders were missiles. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, we had uh, deltas which were, uh, were uh, the most advanced at that time. Okay. They had a scan on them where it was called double D scan, where the, the cone would go around and if it found a, a heat source in it, it would chirp at you. So it'd be a D, so you'd be a burp, burp, and you knew where it was. Right. And uh, you could lock it up and it would, it would lock it. Wow. So uh, we listened to these guys, they got started, and then they lost sight of each other. And they set up a rendezvous circle. And a rendezvous circle is where there's one guy just orbits over a, a, a geographical point, right. calls point one, point two, point three. Well, they made it. Two times around, and I lost my temper and told Red Crown, says, Red Crown, you got two F8s here. Uh, we're fully loaded, and I can see my wingman. Don't you think it's about time we have a change? And he said, Roger that. And he vectored uh, the two F4s out and vectored us in. Wow. We got to kind of where he was supposed to be. Uh, we started taking ground fire. He wasn't there. Um, so we started to go out, and as we turned out, 
I caught a glint up north. It was about 15 miles away. I know it sounds like a long time, it long does way. It sound like a long way. But I had I had 2010 in one eye and 2015 in the other at that yeah. time, and uh, I, I had really really good eyes. And I called padlock, which means I'm not going to blink even. And I and I've got the lead, and I kept him in sight and started north. And as as we're going, he's heading south really fast, low, and I started in a position. I just got two beeps out of the out of the. Uh, sidewinder. I'm just getting ready to, to lock it up to shoot, and all of a sudden, there's a parachute. The airplane goes whoop, into the jungle and a fireball. And I'm not a real happy camper because I can just see my silver star going down in a parachute. Oh that, no! Uh, <laughs> that uh, and it's the only one we saw. It's the only one we saw. Wow. Well, phantoms were getting jumped all the time because they weren't as uh, good air to air at the time. They didn't uh, have their experience. Uh, the cadre of guys in the airplane. That's yeah. why Top Gun came into existence. That's why. To create that. Yeah. Now, yeah. what did? Again, I don't want to. I don't want to minimize this by making a movie reference. But did you think the flight sequencing and the orders and the training were relatively realistic in Top Gun? I mean, it was a, it was a fun movie. Well, the movie the movie was really good. Uh, what they were doing. Then the second one now. Is yeah. the one, oh, you're talking about that one. The, I'm talking about the first one. Oh, the first one. Uh, no, it was a little, little goofy. They, they say there would be a, a hard deck, and the guys are flying below the hard deck all the time. You did it one time, and you got a really, really big reprimand. Do it again, you're gone. I mean, you're not in Top Gun anymore. You okay. don't fly below the deck. I mean, that's their. Not even if you're every, Tom Cruise. Yeah, not even if you're Tom Cruise. Okay. Nobody, not Viper either, because he was <laughs> below Viper, the deck too. Yeah, Viper went and, below the uh, deck. The, did you have a name? Uh yeah. Look, can you share? Yes, my call sign was Turkey. That's not as cool as Viper, man. I oh, it's, it's so cool. You just don't know. <laughs> you just don't understand. <laughs> Clearly not. Uh, that, that's another. Four? That's Three. another story. Okay. Uh, I'll tell. I'll be glad to tell it though. We, okay. We uh, we were uh, in in training. You, you don't pick a, a call sign. You're assigned a call sign. That's okay. You earn it. Okay. Somehow, uh, we'd gone out on a um, a dog fighting hop uh, with a guy named Rick Phillips. Uh, who I uh, wound up uh, retiring as a two-star admiral, and Eddie Shrump, that guy that was my roommate right. later. And uh, when we and I was pretty good. I mean, okay. uh, and when we came back, uh, we knew we were trying to get call signs. So I, Tuck, Tucker's last name, Fryer Tuck. I thought that was neat. Fryer, Fryer. Okay, sure. frying chicken. So what I had is I had a, a frying chicken in a frying pan with wings on it. And it's like shoot, a shoot. logo on the. I mean, you could, I, I drew it out on the on the board. Okay, okay. Uh, on the blackboard. I came back yeah. from this mission, we right, had a right. dogfighting mission, uh, tr tactics training we call it. Right. And so I drew that up on the board. And Rick, who the guy I'd beaten that day, uh, I got it and I was sitting down. And uh, Rick walked in and he looked at me and said, "That's not a fryer. That's a turkey." And it stuck. And it stuck. <laughs> and it stuck. <laughs> so that's that was when my net call sign became Turkey. And All right. People know me by Turkey that don't know my name. Today, really? Today. That's amazing. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, too bad you couldn't draw a little better. No kidding. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or come up with something. <laughs> you know, a guy bald head with a fringe or something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, then that would be appropriate with Padres. You'd yeah, fit right in, wrap right. it all together. That's right. Yeah, it would. Then how did you get? How do you pick? What was the process of like? Do you audition? Do you try out? Do you For, test? Blue Angels. Oh, I'm the sorry. Blues. Okay. Yeah, going the blue uh, yes, that's an, another story. I, I, my career uh, was a lot of fortunate events. I think most people that have had a, a really successful, and happy life, a good life, there has been a lot of divine intervention. I don't know a better way to put it. Sure. Things happen to help you out. Right. We'd. I'd come back from my second cruise. 
uh, I'd already applied the year before to be on the team because you have to apply. It's right. an application process. But I, I was going on a cruise and there was no way I was going to get it. And they were flying Phantoms at that time, the F four, which is not your specialty. No, I hadn't. Even, I had no time in the airplane, but that didn't matter. Okay. They they, they choose all kinds of okay. guys in the airplane, uh, and they tra you get trained before you go down there. Um, and you'll find Thank it. Thank goodness. Yeah. Well, as you turn the, uh, I mean, uh, as you uh, get more experience in the airplane, you find that airplanes and airplane. So there's okay. there's th parts of them, but the basic uh, maneuvers and everything are pretty standard. Okay. Um, you you just some people feel the airplane better than others. But in any event, uh, I knew I couldn't uh, go, but I went on cruise, and that was that was my last cruise, and that's when I got the MIG and some other things. Other. Exciting things happened that cruise. Well, we got back, and I called Steve Lambert, who uh, was the guy who was kind of my sponsor on the team. He was uh, going to be the uh, lead solo uh, of the team, and said, "Hey, uh, Wonder," uh, I called him Stevie Wonder. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I said, "Hey, Wonder, I'm back. I'm back, and I'm interested. Uh, you guys uh, still looking for people?" I said, God, "Turk, I'm really sorry, but uh, we just picked this week." And which was unusual because they picked early. I said, "Well, that's, yeah, I understand. I just got back. Just want to let you know I, I am interested. Right. I'll, I'm available for next year." How competitive is it? How many? Uh, a couple um, hundred people for two to three spots. Okay, each, so each, each year. Right. Okay. Go on. So, um, uh, I went. I was going to be the LSO and the RAG, the uh, landing signal officer and okay. safety officer, depending on how you look at it. And uh, we're getting ready to take some guys to the boat and that. And I got a call about three days later. From Steve and said, Turkey, you, you still interested? Steve, it was only three days ago. Of course, I'm still interested. Right, yeah. <laughs> says, Well, we're going to we get an air show in uh, um, Point Magoo this weekend. Can you come up? says, Sure, I'd love to see you guys anyway. So I did. I I had a, a 57 Corvette. Uh, nice. I was a fighter pilot. And uh, <laughs> and uh, so I took that thing up there, and it was fun. It was fun to put on the road. It was a little convertible. Sure. It, was, it was a hoot anyway. Went up, saw the team. Um, Met some guys I didn't know before. They had some really neat guys. Watched the air show. Um, met a couple of movie stars. Just happened to be there. That, they, you know, so that's that's one of the side benefits at times. Okay. And uh, shook hands at the end of his. God, it's good to see you guys. I'll be. I'll see you again next year when when you guys uh, come out the West Coast. Or so is it a new crew every year? Or? Uh, no, about a half the team or a third of the team, something like that, sure. every every year. Okay. It's a two year tour. Okay. And so, uh, as a solo, you start number six one year, and then uh, the next year you're number five, and then you're you're gone, and then wow. and you go back to the fleet. Narrator uh, at the, that time was narrator constantly. He was narrator for th for two years, and that was it. He talked. Everybody else was two years. See, I could do that job. Yeah, well, yeah. I, yeah. I'm a pro. Yes, you could. <laughs> Most of them were very good at it too. But I uh, I got a call uh, from Steve. Um, that was on a Monday. I got a call from Wednesday. Say, hey Turkey, we're having a party down uh, down here in Pensacola on this weekend. Is there any chance you can get an airplane and come down? I says, well, sure, I'll, I'll check, but I'm pretty sure I can. They, yeah. they're, they're, they're always wanting us to take cross countries to build time and stuff. So, uh, sure, I'll see what I can do. Well, I showed up and I pulled into the ramp. There was another guy that pulled in and and another one, uh, two Phantoms and and me, in the in the F8, and got out. And the, uh, one of the Phantoms was a guy named Vance Parker. Who had been an applicant all year, and he came down. It was the end of the season party, is what this was. And the other guy, and I can't think of his name now. How I think it's Hal Loney, and he was a former uh, lead solo uh, on the Blues. Well, he kind of told us where we were going to have to go. So, uh, in any event, we get we get to the party, and uh, uh, the CEO asked me, he said, "Turk, can I talk to you?" A guy named Don Bentley says, "Yes, sir, of course." So let's go upstairs. So we went in, took me in a room, sat me down. Says, "Turk, you know, we were looking at." Uh, 
really looking at you hard for the team, but we got word that you were a little more rambunctious on Liberty than we could handle. And I'm thinking, what? Who told that? That's not true, really. Uh, who did that? Said, and then he said, and so we decided instead to pick two Hilo pilots. What? And then the door opened and the guys came out of the back. Oh, ah! Uh, singing you had a song. Me going, right? I'm yeah, like, yeah, well, that, and I'm like, Hilo me, pilots. They had me going too. And so I got because Hilo, that's helicopter. Because I already I oh, speak that language. There you go. See? Yeah. Well, that's that's why. I mean, not too many Hilo pilots have made the team. So. No, I can't imagine. Um, so that was I got selected. And the guy, kid that I got out with was Vance Parker. Vance was the guy that we selected him the next year as my opposing solo. So I was, a, I wound up being a solo with Steve. All right. And the next year, uh, and that year, the Phantom year was kind of exciting. We, we lost six airplanes. We lost three people. Wow. I was the only guy on the team that didn't lose a team. Didn't lose an airplane. Wow. Steve lost. We got our, our leader, the slot pilot. Uh, and uh, and his backseater. So killed. I mean, this is no joke. I mean, oh no, no, it's pretty real. Yeah, uh -huh. I mean, I, I mean, and I say that because you know you go to a, a carnival, you go to a high wire, right, and you assume that everything is rehearsed well enough that nothing could go wrong. That's right. And then if it does, they fall and land on that, uh, or they yeah. may break a leg That's or something. Right. But if you're up in those planes and it's so. I mean, I got a lot of really layman questions. So, no, that's all right. Um, that's all right. How fast are you actually flying? In the Phantom, uh, most of the opposing solo uh, stuff was 500 knots. What, is that? 550. I mean, what is that a mile per hour? I mean, how does yeah, that yeah, 550 miles an hour. Okay. Yeah, about 500 knots. Uh, a knot is 6,000 feet, whereas a mile per hour is 5,980. Right. Yeah. And uh, wow. that's that's the, uh, the solo maneuvers are, are the, built to that speed because the airplane has better response. Roll yeah. rate's about the best at that rate and that okay. sort of stuff. Five. 550-ish miles per hour. Yeah, that's about wow. right. Yeah. And uh, and how close do the planes actually get in formation? Three feet. Well, unless they hit each other, and then they're <laughs> real close, but three feet. Now, yeah. so that's a yardstick, folks. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, your that's, that's your arm. A, that's from your shoulders to your yeah. fingertip. Yeah, and, and it's moving. It's not still. 500. It's moving. Yeah. It's moving. And, and you're, you're now, is there any built-in, like, positive negative pole to keep the, you know, like magnets don't touch? Uh, no. Uh, we did have... Uh, most airplanes, you trim the airplane to take all feel out, so it's it's uh, zero to move it around. In other words, it's, it's, you let if go you, and it's not gonna, nothing going to happen. Okay. We did full nose down, and that way you're always pulling against something. So if you have to get away from somebody, just relax, and you you, you don't have to go through any null. Yeah. When you relax, it goes away. Um, and do you ever have any close calls? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, you're always close at 550 miles and three feet, but I mean, it, like... I, I did one touch and go that wasn't planned uh, in, in the next year in the A4s. Not, uh, I flew through one or two trees, I think only one that, that year, in, in 73. That's the only thing I did. I flew through some trees. I got forced into it. I finished the maneuver, and, and the diamond was there. They were early, so I had to go straight, and there was a tree there. Wait as long as I could, tr try to throw my wing over it, but I went through it. It didn't hurt anything. Uh, except tree, tree and, yeah, I was gonna yeah, say <laughs> a couple of birds nests in the tree. Yeah, tree, tree's probably not. And a... then I did a touch and go uh, on the dirty roll. That's where the gear and flaps down, and uh, I kind of drove it a little too much. When I got down, I, I hit the ground. Fortunately, I, I hit a cross taxiway. It was a very, very, very short, wide runway. It was a taxiway that went that way. Okay. So it was like fifty feet long and a hundred feet wide. I touched down right in the middle of it. I got really lucky. Wow. That's the only times I. And that's, really close. that's yeah that and and how again I don't want to be be morbid but how many planes do you think they lose a year is it, is it normally what, uh, none I mean okay, it, right the, the goal is zero right right yeah. I would imagine uh, we uh, lost uh, like I said six airplanes in 1973 wow. three in winter training 
Uh, Steve, I was on his wing when he stalled the airplane inverted uh, in the back, dirty back to back. Right. Went underneath me. He was 90 degrees off. His head's like where that lamp is. <laughs> and when he went underneath me, he was 90 degrees off. And by the time I, I, I you know, added the power, started to turn, and nothing's happening. So because I'm stalled too. But you don't look at the attic, you know, right, I'm right. flying. As long as he's flying, I'm flying. Right. And by the time I got it up and got climbing and rolled up, all there was was a fireball. So I said, God, we lost him. Did the missing man. We're out there talking. Yeah, we finally landed. And she said, what are we going to do now? Good Lord. And I'm coming out of the jun out of the swamp. This was in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Here's Steve carrying his parachute. Hi, guys. Wow. He jumped out on the second bounce, and nobody even saw a shoot. Wow. And the last one, they had a collision in uh, uh, Lake Hurst, New Jersey. Hmm. This was in the 70s. That was in 19, end of 1973. Yes. 73. Yeah. Wow. And, and then we transitioned to the A4, and uh, uh, I was the lead solo in the A4. We didn't have any problems at all. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I just, and they still obviously perform. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And well, they, they had one or two after that, and then in 1979, they had the guy out here at Miramar was doing a little yeah. crash. Well, that's when I went back for that. I went oh. back to be lead solo the next year. Oh, wow. And replaced him. That was my second tour. Like you just like completely full of injective adrenaline the whole time you're doing this, or you oh no 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 you're you're used to it. I mean you you get up for the air shows. It's right. like any athlete, right. honestly, because right. that's a pretty damn athletic event. I get out on oh, my pits are not, right? not, not dry. I promise. <laughs> uh, you work pretty hard, even uh, the air conditioned cockpit. Uh, yeah, but, wow. Uh, but no, we're not. You you don't really get you know hyper for it because that 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 would be counterproductive. All right, you gave me a couple of, uh, well, you gave me several different things to choose from. So I'm going to choose, I'm going to spin the wheel of stories and end up about the Paris Air Show. Tell me what there is to know about the Paris Air Show. Uh, Paris Air Show, of course, is in Paris, uh, France. Paris, France, yes, it's at uh, La Bourget, as okay. the field we're at. Um, they have, the French run it. They have their own rules. Uh, they have their own altitudes you're allowed to fly at. We train at alt at our altitude. Different altitude. It's different optics. Right. Right. Um, you know, when you do a knife edge pass, you know, that's where you're passing like right. that at a 90 degrees angle of bank. Well, you're not level. The outside guy's up because if you look if that way, you look like he's low. So you got to be up like that. So optically, it looks like you hit because right. it's supposed to be a collision effect. Right. Well, it's trained for, for like the lowest one was 200 feet, then 250, then 300 was the rolls. We started 250 to 300, somewhere in that. Feet area. off the ground? Yes. So that's a football field, less. 200 is two thirds uh, of the yeah, football field. Exactly. Okay. Uh, uh, high. Not that uh, high. Well, that day while we were there it was the last day, uh, the day before uh, the Concorde and the SST. Uh, Concorde and, and the TU 144, which is the Russian airplane, they were kind of in a little. Uh, Huff and puff uh, out there trying to be bit cooler than the other guy, uh, and the Concorde. Wait, like those are giant. They're great big, yeah. But yeah. They, they do them separately. They're not doing together. Okay, cool. but I was going to say, they're, holy! They're, they're demonstrating the capabilities of the airplane. Okay. And the Concorde was just was doing a better job. It just the airplane just looked sleeker, and it, it was a it was a better looking uh, air show. The uh, when the Russian guy get up, he just didn't look as good. I mean, it just. It wasn't as smooth. The yeah. airplane didn't get his nose high and all this stuff. Well, we had a party the night before on Saturday night, and uh, just a cocktail party for all the all the contestants. And we were visiting with people, and we were talking to the Russian guy. And Tom says, "You know, it's fun watching you, but boy, that concourse really impressive, isn't it? That boy, that <laughs> piss him off." And um, and he finally says, "You watch, you watch me tomorrow, comrade. I show you something." So okay. So the next day we're out there. Now was he when you when you when you're talking to him? Yeah. Is he 
is he legit angry or was he chest puffing? Like, okay, was, I got yeah, something for you. He was a little chest puffing. Okay, okay. He was trying to be a fighter pilot. Right, and you yeah. guys weren't like. Oh no, we weren't. We weren't. No, we were just, out just talking. Right, and we and it was like, oh I wasn't yeah, trying to stir the pot. Right, we I can make a thirty footer. Well, yeah. I can make a thirty five footer. Yeah, that's right. Okay, all right. Got that, that's, it, a little bit then. Right, right. <laughs> so um, the next day for breakfast, we had breakfast with uh, Oppo Fivers, a guy named Fox Turner. Oppo Five is the head naval aviator in the United States Navy. He was at the show just to see, you know, right. waving the flag. Uh, and, he, and we were there. Skip, it was myself and Steve, I think, Steve Lambert, and Skip, who was the leader, Skip Homestead, who was a former lead solo pilot. Right. Uh, we, the first accident we had in Phantoms, they brought him back because the, the leader hurt his neck. Um, so we we're having breakfast with Admiral Turner, and Admiral says, uh, Skip, yes, sir, yes, sir. Um, I got something for you. I want you to put the altitudes where they're supposed to be. And Skip got kind of quiet for an instance. Admiral, you are aware that uh, the French have rules on this stuff, and they're pretty adamant about it. Said, Skip, who do you work for, the frog or me? I, That's a quote. Yeah. That was a quote. Tony, I didn't make that up. Tony on the mic does not No, uh, support. He doesn't support right. Endorse the And I don't either. <laughs> right, right. I don't they're, they're allies, and I really like right. them. Okay. But, uh, but Skip says, yes, sir. So in the brief, he says, okay, guys, today we're going to... Uh, but the altitude's where they belong. Okay. Thank goodness. Um, so we got, got ready to go, and we're standing out there. We were, uh, the Blues always was the last. They were kind of the... the yeah, highlight. Headliner. Yeah, yeah, headliner, I guess. I don't know a better way to right. put it. And not some... Uh, Too arrogant. Yeah. <laughs> but, but why we, start, we why the, stop now? We were the last. That's true. <laughs> yes. I mean, I've got a, a reputation up. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, we're watching the uh, TU-144. We'd seen... Uh, uh, the uh, the Concord and here he goes man and he actually is this guy's doing some stuff and then he finally comes to the, the nose high turn or, or nose high uh, maneuver and he gets nose really high like that and he's god that is really cool and all of a sudden the airplane you could see a shutter and it fell off the wing fell off and the nose came down and and then all of a sudden the wings leveled out and he started pulling he started pulling like a fighter and I mean you could see that and we're saying holy cow one of the canards you know the canard is uh, uh, it's it's the thing in the back. It's called an elevator. Okay. Canard is up front. The same thing. Okay. It's up front. All right. Well, one of the canards came off. The airplane went whoop and went right into a village off the end of the runway. And we're sitting there watching this. And all of a sudden, next. We what? Next. They, and they didn't stop the show. There's nothing but a big fire. You can hear the fireball what? over there. Smoke. and I mean, it's like a small atomic bomb went off. And there was... I want to say there was eight people or two, nine people on the airplane, and it killed like twelve in the village too. They were all gone. So we take off and start our air show, uh, and we doing stuff just like normal and uh, our normal, not their right, normal. Right, right, right. But the guy that's in charge of the air show was so worried about what's going on over there. He's selling and he look and he see us and we're low. And uh, our narrator John Chahansky, his call sign was Smoke because he had black and white hair, even though he's our age. Smoke was up in the tower, and he said, tell him to get the altitudes up. Boss, get those altitudes up. Of course, he never keyed the mic. Of course. That's, all right, all right. Uh-huh. Well, they're doing two or three, and then uh, the maneuver was a little slow, fast. That's where the diamond comes in, all dirtied up, uh, with the gear and flaps down as slow as they can. And then I'm the lead solo, or opposing solo, is supposed to come by as fast as you can to show the difference in speed. Right. And, well, I was a little late, and uh, so I really had the speed up. And I actually, that year, it had to make it look like I went underneath them. 
I hit him perfectly at center point. He's looking at it, uh, and he and he said, oh, I says, they're, they're, they're low, but oh, they're slow. It's okay. Didn't see me coming. He looked away, and he looked back, and I hit him right at center point, and I was really fast. I was when you say him. hit him. Hit uh, the collision effect. The effect. Okay. I'm supposed to look yeah. like, right. one year it looked like you go over him, one year you go, go through him, and this year I'm supposed to look under on the inside, right. underneath him is what it looked like. Well, he was low. Okay. Really low, right. for some reason, and I was only a 50 feet, if that. And I was about not Mach 0.976. What does that mean, miles per hour? Uh, well, Mach 1.0 is a sonic boom. Uh, so the, you're looking at 640 miles an hour. Okay. Depends <laughs> on the temperature outside. Right, right. What the sonic boom is. But, but I hit him perfectly, and it scared the bejesus out of the guy. And he threw things, his paper threw up and flew down, and he was hot. And so he tells Smoke, you have him land right now. Uh, he is out of the show. Have him land. So Smoke says, uh, the, the Turk. Yeah, smoke. He says, um, you got to land right now. I said, well, what? <laughs> says, you got to land right now. You're out of the show. I said, well, I can't. My, my chute fell out on takeoff. Uh, it happened occasionally, and it did. So I'm still a little too heavy for that. He says, well, you're out of the show. So I went off and over behind the crowd and stuff, which was over the Eiffel Tower. And the, this is not on the radio, is it? Uh, and I dumped <laughs> about 2,000 pounds of gas to get the, over the Eiffel Tower at about 1,000. Field. And came uh, came back in and Skip said just join up, so I did. I came back in and joined up, and we came in and did our normal uh, uh, landing maneuver to land right. and got to the got to the line. And Skip says, "Well, Turk, why don't you just going back to the hotel? Said, don't you want to debrief? Because we because <laughs> we debrief nope. every <laughs> No, I don't think you need to come upstairs. And uh, sure enough, I got in the car and went back, and uh, the gendarmes were waiting for me in the ready room. They were going to haul me off. Wow, they were not happy. <laughs> so, and we left the next day. So. But that, that's how I got kicked out of the air, sir. I did make Aviation Week, the, the magazine. It said that I was kind of led into it. I was, it wasn't my fault that it happened. Oh, okay. I mean, they were really nice about it. It made me feel better. But it was kind of fun being a bad boy for a minute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because so far, that doesn't sound at all in character. Um, I'm saying with heavy sarcasm. Yeah, I noticed that, too. <laughs> just, want, just want to make sure you don't think I was giving you a compliment. Good. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mistake that. Let's see. Let's uh, <laughs> let's see if we can randomly select another one. How about F fourteen? What's the story about the F fourteen? It is a phenomenal airplane. I couldn't believe how maneuverable it was. The only problem it had was uh, wait. I'm sorry. This Russian Concorde-ish plane right crashed into a village right. And they kept going on with the show. That's, that's correct. Did aviation say anything about that? No, that, that was expected at the time. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, they had it handled. Uh, right, yeah, I mean, I, they I, had and had again, it, it comes down to what what can you do with this point? You research accidents in, in, uh, online. Okay. Accidents at the Paris Air Show, you're going to find all kinds of them. You're going to find a Russian fighter that stalls and the guy jumps out and the airplane hits right in front of the crowd. Oh, my goodness. So it didn't stop. It kept going. I mean, there's more than one. Wow. Okay, I'm sorry. Let's go. No, back that's to that. all right. F14. I tried not to interrupt, but it's still pretty mind-boggling to me. The F14 was uh, a really, really neat airplane. I was uh, all ready to go uh, to the ship to carrier call when they had the accident at Miramar in '79. Uh, when I in '78 is when the accident was, and I went back to the Blues in '79, uh, so I didn't get to go up. On, on that F-14 cruise at that time. And that was going to be cool because Vance Parker was in the squadron. Terry Applegate, who's one of my heroes, was there. Hawk uh, 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 Monroe Smith was uh, in the squadron. And two or three other guys that are 
were on the blues later and and, uh, and had been on the blues before in that squadron. So I was really excited about it. Well, I didn't go back. Well, I didn't get it. Well, I wound up going to VF1. And, uh, VF1. VF1 is a, a 14 squadron. After, after I went to the blues, came... When that was over, went back through training again, then I was signed to VF-1, uh, which is an F-14 squadron, just okay. a, another one on okay. a different ship. It was going to go on the Ranger. Okay. So I wound up going on a cruise in that. I couldn't believe how maneuverable that airplane was for as big as it was. I mean, you could do a split ass. That's where you get up and just roll and pull in about 1,800 to 2,000 feet. And the Phantom, if you get, did it, you'd be lucky to get it in 7,000 feet. Oh, wow. I mean, it would just... It would turn on a dime, give you nine cents change. I mean, it was an unbelievable airplane. Um, the only problem it had is if it got slow um, and, and it had an engine stall, the airplane could turn frisbee on you. I mean, you'd get in a flat span that you couldn't get out. The thing in the in the in first Top Gun movie where Goose was killed. Yes, yep. Yeah. That was a real that was a real event. That happened to an admiral's son, oh. and I can't think of the guy's name. He lives here in town. Uh, they, they got in a flat span. He initiated ejection. The canopy came off and hovered over the airplane. So when he ejected, he hit it. Because uh, I mean flat spin. That, it does. It's just like a frisbee. It just I'm going to go straight down. Um, so uh, I was a little disappointed they killed Goose. I was too. I mean, tell you what, in that movie though, when when his son walked out in that that old '60s shirt with button-down collar, yeah, it was like looking at Goose. Though. Yeah, I haven't seen the new one yet. Oh, oh I don't want to spoil anything. Okay, we're gonna. Do, and I know, I know, he meets his son. Yes, and know, yeah. Yeah. It, it is really well done. I think okay. it's a lot better than the first movie. I thought. Okay, and, and when you say believable. better, more believable, more believable. More the so. things that are are real, um, they're not really teaching them at Top Gun stuff. They're kind of mission. Right, you know, they're part of that. The only thing that's not real is that all the flag officers are screaming at the kid, the guys. They don't do that. I mean, they, they'll do it occasionally, but you know, they'll do it in a room. They don't do it in front of people. Right. You know, see so Ed Harris gets really crabby, and John Hamm gets really crabby, and and they, that's the only thing that wasn't realistic. I, I will not have you besmirched John Hamm. I liked him. He did a good job. He's one of the crabbiest guys I've ever seen. <laughs> so, all right. Well, that. Uh, is is really going to limit our time on the on the stories of that. We're going to talk a little bit about your personal stuff, a few fun facts, yeah. and then of course get you in the electric chair and see how <laughs> you would leave this earth. So again, we're going to take our last break and be back in just a few minutes with Blue Angel, Jerry Tucker, and we are back today. My guest is former golf caddy. Have you ever been introduced as a former golf caddy? Uh, yeah, I think I had once or twice. Oh, okay, yeah. I was gonna I was gonna try and find something out of your past that. Uh, Maybe had you hadn't been announced, you know, or introduced as, I'm sure, pilot, et cetera. Oh, we are back with the most popular person in Mar Vista Senior High Class in 1963. How about that? Yeah, I have never been introduced that way. Okay. <laughs> 1963, most popular male. That's Jerry right. Um, all right, let's just have some fun, talk about some of the stuff. I'm in a band. I don't know if you can see that picture. Oh. That was in the 80s. All right. But, um... We are actually putting together a band to play at the House of Blues. In, really? Uh, yeah, and at a corporate gig, August thirty first. We played it a couple of years ago in COVID, and oh, nobody yeah. did anything for a long time. But yeah, we're going to be at the House of Blues, and Good we were you. the Grateful Dads. I'm not That's sure. What, I'm not sure what we're going to call it. Our incantation this year, but everybody's pretty psyched about it. You were William Penn and the Quakers. Yes, this was back in the. Um Whalers out of Seattle. Okay. Uh, uh, this is not the Whalers that uh, you hear now, uh, the reggae band. They, they did a version of, uh, of Louie Louie. It was very, very different, and okay. it was really cool. Uh, our group was, uh, we did okay. We had one record uh, on Dwayne Records. Uh, wow. We were number six in Charleston, South Carolina. 
Yeah, because I mean, this was in Idaho. We played uh, all over, uh, all over. Uh, the, all original music the, and everything. The Palouse, they called yeah. it up in that area. Yeah, up around the University of Idaho. Uh, we uh, played in a bar up there, pretty much the Rascal, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was I, I played the bass and uh, and twelve string uh, and wrote some of the music. Wow! And how many tracks on the record do you think? Two. Oh, <laughs> oh you had a record. We had a you didn't record. have an album. No, you had a, okay. Oh, no, no. Uh, and I had uh, I had I think a couple of them, but my son found actually found it on the internet. Really, Dwayne Records, the best of Dwayne Records, and we made we made that. Wow. Had you ever hear of a guy named Joe South? Doesn't sound familiar. Uh, he, was, he was a rhythm and blues kind of guy, and he came in and recorded with us on that thing. He played the tambourine and, and helped us because that was we drove down from Idaho. Uh, you know, it was 60, 67, so it was the uh, height wow. of Hate Ashbury, so uh, nice. that, was, that was the time. And, well, the guy I caddied for on the pro golf tour was a guy named Jim Colbert, and I just got a text from him really? yes, yesterday wishing wow. me a happy Father's Day, so we nice. stayed close. That's awesome. He, neat guy, really, really neat guy. Hmm. Really. How much does caddy do on the tour? Uh, uh, quite a bit, actually. I mean, most of it's grunt work. You know, you're right. carrying the bag and stuff, and... Uh, He'll ask every once in a while, what do you think? Mm -hmm. uh, he'll usually have something in mind, just wants to bounce it off. Right. With, with Jim, anyway. Yeah. I only, I only caddied for him for six months, and I went back in the Navy. That's right. Now, did you, were you on tour with anybody kind of famous and cool? Well, Jim Colbert. He was... Uh, I mean, no, one. not with him. I oh, mean, like, oh, in yeah. a tournament. We, with... played, we played with Sam Snead. We played oh, with wow. uh, JC, okay. uh, Jack, Arnold three or four times. Wow. Ar Arnold's one of my heroes. Oh, really? And the guy's amazing. I, I went up to watch uh, another friend of mine uh, qualify for the senior open up in Riviera and I went up to watch him and he was playing right uh, behind Arnold. Well Arnold teed off and he as always he kind of squibbled it down the left side and he walked by and looked at him and he said, Jerry, what are you doing oh, here? Oh look at that. The fact that he remembered was just blew me away. Wow. But that's how cool a guy he was. Yeah. God he was a neat guy. It's funny there's, there's very few athletes that you've never heard anything bad about. And he's yeah, definitely he's, I guarantee you, he's, there's he's one thing. We uh, flew out of Pensacola one time because a hurricane was coming through, and the air show was at Latrobe, which is where Arnold's from. Okay. So we we went up there, we landed at Latrobe, and Man, you're throwing Arnold around pretty casually. Well, I we, I'm. You feel that good about it? Uh, yeah, I do. Okay. Actually, right. I met him a lot, and okay. uh, he the fact that he remembered my name, okay. I feel like right. I'm entitled. If he remembers, yep, yep. If he remembers but your he, name, that's uh, Arnold Palmer, folks. For those yes. who aren't golf oh, people, yeah. well, Google I him. Talk about uh, Prince. He never, he wouldn't leave till everybody got what he wanted signed Sign in a restaurant. Never turned wow. anybody away ever. Wow. Uh, when we went up there, he uh, set us up with with Doc, the guy that was his manager, and they took us through a tour through his house, through his basement, where all his clubs, all his shoes he's ever owned were still there. Wow. Uh, God, it was his workshop. And mm. he, he was just a prince. He was just a prince. That sounds that sounds awesome. Oh, he was a neat man. Now, Top Gun versus Top Gun Maverick. You said Maverick was more more believable. Yeah, I thought I thought it was just it was more mature. If you weren't uh, a pilot, same. Same. Yeah, I think the same thing. The f first one's a real rah rah, and it's fun. As a matter of fact, I'm in that movie. Just shut so you know. up. When, when she, he goes and talks to her in the bathroom and comes out. And she tells Goose he was he was awesome and walks away. Right. Well, the guy sitting right next to Goose, he's like that when Maverick walks up. The guy sitting there is a guy named Chuck Heatley, and okay. he took the picture that's on the bar, which is me, and a guy named Willie Spence coming into the break at the Ranger. Heater took that one. I made a magazine cover, a back to back in the F fourteen. Uh, wow. He uh, he's in all kinds of scenes in that thing. Wow. One of the be best. He and Harry Gann are the two best photographers, and and, and a guy named uh, Jim Preston who works for the Smithsonian now are the best I've ever been around in my life. 
That's amazing. That's awesome. So I was in Top Gun. I just want you to know. Okay, all right. No, no, no you buried the lead. <laughs> you buried the lead. It wasn't a speaking role. Uh, it was a flying role. <laughs> You've committed a capital crime. You've been found guilty and sentenced to die. You get one movie, one meal to eat while you watch the movie, and then one song to plug into your headsets to, to take you away. What's your meal? The meal is Spanish rice. It's easy and it's a little spicy. And we don't eat easy. I mean, uh, this... no, it's what I want. Okay, I eat. Any, no, no entree, no sides, no. no okay. That's all I want. Good Spanish rice. All right. And then your movie while you watch it. The Bridges of Toko Reef. Now why? It's about an elevator. Where do we get such men? It's the best line in the whole thing. Where do we get such men? I'd like to write Prue Baker's wife. But what can you say? How do you? Explain this to the mother of two little girls. Where do we get such men? They leave this ship and they do the job. And they must find this speck lost somewhere on the sea. When they find it, they have to land on its pitching deck. Where do we get such men? One yet. This guy was the Admiral. You know, okay. standing on the bridge. The Admiral was the sea of the boat, I think. The guy that that was kind of built around was a guy named uh, Fornoff. Uh, Corky Fornoff's dad, and, uh, who went after that bridge uh, during the Korean War. And Corky used to fly air shows with his dad. And, mm. uh, and his dad had an accident up in Newport, I think it was. Mm. But uh, Corky did, did it forever. Flying, flying the BDs, he did the BD jets, he did uh, flew a bear cat. Uh, but that, uh, I, that movie just it gets me every time I watch it. That's 60 years old-ish, the movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. Wow. It holds up. Let's see. My movies that hold up probably the longest are Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, West Side Story. Yeah. Those are probably my really, yeah, they, longest reading. Movies touch different people different right, ways. Right, right. What, what this one does is it's the... Now, did it touch you in real time? Uh, no, no. I uh, I saw it and, and met more later. Right. right after okay. I was one. Okay. And, right. And right. Did some of the things, not what they did. I right, mean, that right. was a completely different war. Sure. But I'd been in situations where I wasn't sure a few times, and uh, um, and other things were more important than me. And uh, yeah, that's what that movie brought. That movie brought up. Nice to me. Nice. That's excellent. Okay, so uh, your gut's full of Spanish rice. You just, I'm assuming, cried at the end of... Uh... It's, it, there's <laughs> tears are involved. I've never admit it, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it's hard and to then... see things. look a little fuzzy, maybe. Yeah, yeah the movie, every time the movie comes on, it kind of yeah. they, they lose the focus and yeah, they can't. Yeah, a little bit. I don't, I don't know what happened yeah. with that. And uh, you're going to plug in a song and be sent off to the sweet goodnight. What song yeah, is that? I knew you before. I loved you before I knew you. Savage Garden, so that was probably 80s? No, that was in the 70s. Savage Garden? Oh, maybe, maybe, well, maybe it was after that. But. Savage Garden released I Knew I Loved You Before I Met You in 1999. Barely in the 90s. Yikes. Well, when it came out, but I do know that it, I, it, when it clicked, I loved my wife before I met her. Right, right. No, it, And when that thing came out, it, both of us, our eyes got big, so evidently we were already married. And okay. Holy cow, what's that? Right now, you know what you're hearing when you're listening to this? 
that song playing in the background. All right. Yeah. And I'm hoping I get sued because so. I don't have the rights to it. <laughs> At least that's well, just don't play it too long, and I think we'll be right. safe. Yeah, it's funny. I don't know all the rules. We did a Quentin Tarantino roundtable, and I recorded, or I used a ton of quotes from the Quentin Tarantino movies. And someone's like, do you have a rights to that? Are you allowed? And I said, I have no idea. And I said, honestly, the best thing in the world could happen would be Tarantino suing me. You. And I'd say, you can have every dime I've ever made on a podcast. Yeah. Well, you don't work for Fox, so your chances of getting sued by him are okay. So. Right. Because <laughs> right. yeah. they've been sued several times. For that. Just that. Just playing music in the background. Yeah. There's a, it's funny. There's a lot of uh, sports like podcasts yeah. and talk shows do the same thing. They'll put a highlight reel or something to yeah. a song. Yeah. Anyway, you don't own that. So, yeah, it's interesting. All right, today I appreciate it. My guest has been Jerry Sanders. Today, my guest has been. <laughs> <laughs> now, there'll be different fun? stories this time, though. All right. <laughs> yeah, Jerry Tucker, tell me about your friend Jerry Sanders. <laughs> he's a, he's a, not near as good looking as I am, I can tell you that. <laughs> I appreciate you wading through all the technical uh, difficulties and fantastic stories. Well, let's do this again. Let's, would, uh, I would like let's, let's, do, let's do this again. Let's sit down in a, in a, in a bit and uh, tell some of the other stories we can. We can wade through a lot of the other, you know, prelims and postlims, and just here you got some great stories, man. It's oh, really interesting. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, uh, say goodnight to the folks. Jerry. Good, night. good night, folks. It's really been a pleasure talking. Tony in the Mesa. The Mesa. Outro. 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 That is going to do it for another episode of Tony on the Mic. Please subscribe, like, comment, and support the show at Tony on the Mic on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and the TikTok. All of these platforms are being slowly filled with quality entertainment product. Also support the show on our Patreon page and contact Tony on the Mic at TonyOnTheMic.com for sponsorship opportunities and content suggestions. I want to thank my sponsors and the support side, including associate producer Gary Lawrence. Jerry Sanders, Blue Angel, golf caddy, most popular kid in uh, Marvis High School. Well, Jerry Sanders might have been, but Jerry Tucker's who you were talking to who, today. Who? <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll give, I'll give you the choice. I can edit that out or leave that in. Uh, that's your call. That's all right by me. I just tell how a big impression I made. So. No. <laughs> I'm looking at my sheet. Where, there's got to be a Sanders on there. How did I get... All right, no, we're cutting it out. Jerry Sanders, that name is so familiar. We played, I played with Doug Sanders, who's a golfer. But. Huh.